Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. This is episode 130, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. Today in the studio, we have Mike Viertaler, the head distiller at 10th Ward Distilling Company. It's, and I say this almost every time, it's like hard to keep track of the end of every company's because <laughs> some are distillery distilling. <laughs> right, right. Um, so thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And it, this is perfect timing uh, because right around the corner in Frederick, we will be hosting the Frederick Craft Spirits Festival. Tenth Ward will be there. Yes. Um, and I think you have a few special things you'll you're bringing to the. Yeah, yeah. Festival, right? Yeah, uh, at least one big special thing. Um, something that we've been, uh, it's been in the works for, I mean, really ever since we opened our doors, you know, almost three years ago. Uh, the question also was, you know, when are you guys going to release a bourbon? Especially with our smoked corn, it had just that really nice, interesting character to it. And so we are actually really, really excited to announce that uh, on the 20th, we will be releasing what we're calling our newborn bourbon. Uh, so it is produced like you would a bourbon. It utilizes our smoked corn base, goes into brand new charred uh, oak barrels. Uh, we actually used a series of a 53-gallon, a 5, and then a 10. Blended those together. Uh, oldest one is actually only two months old. Uh, so what it is is very nice, very bright. You still have a lot of that really intense smoke, but you also get these really nice just uh, kind of campfire notes and wonderful little bits of honey and vanilla in the back oh, end nice. as well yeah says so um is newborn like an ode to that it's a young bourbon exactly or, okay exactly uh, uh kind of like a lot of other smaller distilleries we knew you know there's a lot it uh, takes a lot of time to yeah. make whiskey. You make your product, you put it in oak, and then you sit on it for a while. And uh, so at the same time, we have been putting aside a couple of barrels that will age for a couple of years. So a few years down the road, we will have a straight bourbon. Uh, we'll have a straight rye. Uh, but as for right now, we just kind of wanted to play around. And uh, you can really get some of these wonderful uh, notes of the base spirit to come through, even in just a couple of months sitting on oak. Okay. Well, let's take a a little break from uh, what Tenth Ward has going on, and talk about your background a little bit. Yeah. Um, from Facebook stalking you, <laughs> I see you. You have a, a decent, uh, quite a bit of experience with craft spirits, starting from um, a mix you yeah. a mixologist, then transitioned into distilling. So. Mm -hmm. Um, why don't you just give us a little, get your history, your a quick bio. <laughs> right, right. The, the Cliff Notes version. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm kind of like a lot of other distillers in the industry. I came out of it, I came to it from a completely different area. Um, it's actually kind of nice to walk through the newsroom because, uh, you know, a whole lifetime ago, I was actually an investigative reporter. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I went to school, got my journalism degree, uh, worked in newspapers, worked in magazines, Uh did what a lot of journalists do, uh, left, got into PR, marketing, did that for a national ag company for a couple of years. But this whole time, my wife and I were always big foodies, uh, originally from Dodge City, Kansas, so about 1,600 miles from Frederick, actually, and uh, small 30,000 people on the Kansas prairie. And we were big foodies. We loved cocktails. And this would have been mid-2000s, like right when you really saw 
the cocktail renaissance kicking off and starting to leak outside of both uh, New York and L.A. And so we got involved with the local theater and took over a bar program and started doing craft cocktails, all while doing PR and marketing for my full-time job. And uh, started working with other people and doing freelance cocktail writing. Uh, got a lot of really cool connections within the liquor industry and kind of discovered that's where my passion lay. So uh, did bartending, did mixology, uh, while still working PR for this ag company. Uh, then these three farmers in Dodge City decided they were going to open a craft distillery in Dodge. Uh, I had sort of knowledge of them both through my ag background as well as my my cocktail background and uh, reached out one day and they were like, hey, we'd love to have you involved. And I enjoyed my job, but it wasn't very fulfilling. <laughs> and so when they actually decided... Also a common uh, yeah. thread in most people's uh, stories. Yes, exactly. So uh, yeah, so they originally kind of wanted me to just come on as a consultant, maybe, you know, let's hey, taste the spirits, say yay or nay. And uh, they put an ad out for an assistant distiller and a part-time events person. And I called them and said, hey, I'd love to be your distiller and your marketing guy. So walked away from my PR job and became a distiller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did that for about two and a half years at Boot Hill. And uh, amazing place, a lot of great experience. Uh, we expanded really aggressively. But uh, John, the former head distiller here yeah. at 10th Ward, was a friend of mine. And he got this opportunity in Ireland that he ended up taking up. And so he actually called me and said, hey, um, I don't know what you're thinking, but if you're interested, I think you'd be a good fit for 10th Ward. And so called up Monica and we talked on the phone several times and it just ended up really hitting it off together. Uh, really loved what 10th Ward was doing, really fit in with my ethos on how distilling should be and and how you should be experimental and kind of expanding those boundaries of classic distilling. And so here we are, uh, decided to take the job and moved up here in October of last year. So before you started as the assistant distiller there, had you had any background in distilling or home brewing or just from the using the products in cocktails pretty much yeah um yeah it was more on the consumer slash mixing side of things uh when it came to cocktails i was always really big about okay let's break down those individual ingredients and you know it had gotten to the point where it was like well this is the type of gin i recommend for this style of cocktail or this is the type of whiskey and so it was i always kind of had in the back of my mind i would love to be able to make the spirit itself i mean to have mm -hmm. that level of control uh the difficulty with distilling is you can't distill at home legally. Yeah. I mean, it's a federal offense everywhere. So uh, you can't do like you can make wine at home, you can make beer. So other than having like a an intellectual understanding of it, I didn't actually have any hands on, uh, which is a challenge that a lot of distilleries yeah. have. Uh, so when I came on uh, at Boot Hill, it was a lot of hands on, make a lot of mistakes visited a lot of other distilleries, talked to those guys, uh, talked to and just kind of created and tried to foster that community of people have been through this before. We're going through it. Let's share that knowledge. And from that, from that aspect, it's actually kind of amazing, uh, the quality level that mm -hmm. the vast majority of, um, the craft distillers in Maryland are putting out because oh, yeah. the, almost no one has had it 
the experience beforehand, I think there's a few people who may have interned someplace or they had a job at a larger place, but the vast majority are like you, uh, or maybe they just added in, they home brewed uh, beforehand right. or they were a brewer, but not never having been a distiller until they just became one. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you know, and I think that's a testament to that community. Uh, obviously you are seeing that craft cocktail boom. Uh, happening that kind of happened with uh, breweries in the mid 2000s and there's this great sense it's one of the reasons that I was attracted to 10th Ward and attracted to the Maryland scene is we're working together like this isn't competition it's you know the old adage of high tide raises all ships and I think a testament to the quality is the fact that these more established distilleries the ones who've been around who have made these mistakes and learned these lessons are willing to share them with new people coming in. Uh, the other, I think, and I've seen this in Maryland a lot, and I know 10th Ward, another reason I was attracted to come here was we don't want to put anything in a bottle that we wouldn't drink. You know, it's, yeah. it's a pretty high. Unfortunately, there there are some distilleries out in the country that are producing low-quality stuff, just yeah. like there's some breweries, and I mean, but to be able to have ownership that recognizes the importance of quality and that getting the products dialed in where they need to be and adjusting and constantly tweaking and improving that that is what leads to what I think is such an impressive distillation community here yeah and not just thinking about the bottom line but actually caring significantly right. about the product that you're putting out to the public. Exactly. You know, one of the big hurdles I think we have to overcome in distilling as well is the, the craft brew scene kind of came out of, well, everyone was drinking the same stuff. It was all Bud Light. It was all Coors Light. It was all Michelob. And so there was this desire for, you know, experiencing this wider range of higher quality beer that you couldn't access through the big guys. Uh, the big challenge within craft distilling is the big guys are really good at what they yeah, do. <laughs> I, I've heard that complaint a long time. You're yeah. not replacing an inferior product. Exactly. And in, in a lot of ways, um, and it's simply just because of time, mm -hmm. you you do have uh, maybe, an, to some people's opinions, an inferior product because you can't possibly have a 30-year right. <laughs> right. bourbon. <laughs> so you, you're at a disadvantage to the big guys that have every advantage, whereas exactly. craft beer, the, the big guys have a lot of advantages, but they didn't have the advantage of making artisanal, uh, thoughtfully produced things. But Unfortunately for craft distillers, the big guys are doing that. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and it, it's kind of where education plays a huge role as well is you, you find ways to fulfill other niches and you find ways to develop people's palates. And so that's the other that's kind of the nice thing is it's also educating that, you know, maybe sometimes age isn't doesn't necessitate quality. Yeah. Um, I've got a, a friend who's a cocktail writer in Seattle who uh, I sent him an experimental whiskey once that had only been aged a week. And he was like, wow, this is amazing. I said, well, you like that? He goes, yeah. He goes, I would almost argue sometimes if I'm picking up a 15-year-old whiskey, you're hiding more flaws. I mean, the quality of the distillate, yeah. you – and th that can be argued both ways because – you kind of want some of those flaws in that distillate because they develop over time in the barrel into good things. But 
there's just there's so many different ways you can go. And I think that's where the difference can come in on our end is educating consumers on different styles of product. And I would think, too, uh, an advantage to being small is the ability to be nimble. Mm -hmm. You can uh, create basically anything in that if it if it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world and you can play around a lot more than uh, a huge distillery is going to be able to. Most definitely. And, you know, that's one of the things and that I really liked about 10th Ward and that I've loved since I've been here is uh, you kind of see, again, drawing a comparison with like the brewer, the brewing side, you know, you have a new beer every two weeks. Being in what you would even call like a micro or a uh, um, a micro distillery as opposed to a craft distillery is, yeah, you're you're much more, uh, I think nimble, like you say, is the best word because we can have an idea. We can make 100 bottles and test drive it in our tasting room, have people come in, be like, this is a one and done. They taste it. They go, wow, this is amazing. So we go, okay, maybe we need to add that into our main distribution lineup. Yeah. Or they go, Wow, that, that yeah. is bizarre. I, I want no more of that. Exactly. And so we go, okay, cool. One and done. And we yeah. don't have to worry about it again. Um, let's take a real quick break to uh, thank our sponsors. And then we get back. Um, actually, I still have a couple of questions along the same th line. Um, and then I want to talk about Jennifer because yes. we've actually, we've never had um, someone come on with the Jennifer, I don't think. We've had gins mm -hmm. and different types of gins, but never a Jennifer. So let's take a real quick break, thank our sponsors, and we'll be back shortly. A huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. The Frederick Spirits Festival is coming back to the Frederick Fairgrounds on April 20th for a day of food, music, and local spirits. Find your inner mixologist with a cocktail mixing seminar with sampling included with a crafting pass, or join us for the spirits sampling by picking up a tasting pass. Liven up your liquor cabinet with local Maryland spirits. For more information and tickets, go to frederickspiritsfestival.com. So the, do you find it as a, an advantage having uh, the background in mixology? Because there's one thing I've heard uh, from several distil distillers or distillery owners is that I've heard the refrain, I'm not a bartender. <laughs> I have no idea how to make drinks or do th they know how to make um, the product to go into the drinks but don't have that knowledge of mixology. Uh, do you feel like that's an, a, an advantage you have by when you're crafting uh, a spirit – ideas of how it can be used in a cocktail? I definitely think so. Um, it's it's kind of interesting because occasionally you'll run into not really distillers, but maybe sometimes consumers who are convinced, oh, well, no one distills for a cocktail. But I would argue that you always distill for a cocktail because very out of sight of things like maybe some scotches or cognacs, things like that. 
most people aren't drinking your spirit neat. They're drinking it mixed into a cocktail. I um, always drink everything neat, but it's purely out of laziness than <laughs> any other. It's just a complete yeah, efficiency. Yeah. <laughs> my and my my extent of mixology is mixing an ice cube into a spirit, and that right. right. Well, and and same here. I mean, I admit, admittedly, most of the time I'm drinking neat, but I think we're probably outliers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I will tell you, like when we come into product development uh, at 10th Ward, it, it is that idea. You know, we go in, are we are we distilling this and re-aging this with the idea that we want it to be enjoyed by itself, you know, neat in a Glencairn glass? Or is this something that we're anticipating it being mixed? And then that'll inform what our base, uh, you know, what our substrate is, whether it's molasses and we make a, a rum base, or if we're using apple cider to make an apple brandy base or grain or whatever it may be, all the way up to how are we flavoring this? You know, is this going to be like our seasonal liqueurs? Uh, each one has 13 different seasonal botanicals that go into it. So there we're not only just looking at how it's going to be mixed, we're also thinking of when it's going to be mixed. Okay. And so there's always that idea, anything that goes into a bottle, we want we want to be comfortable that it could be enjoyed neat. That, well, it doesn't have to be enjoyed in this specific context, but it still can be if you want it to be. So actually, the um, before I ever drank beer, I, I always drank mixed drinks because it was much more efficient, mm-hmm. like to so say in my early <laughs> 20s. And because I'm an extremely basic person, I, I always drank electric lemonades because <laughs> um, they were very non-alcoholic tasting mm-hmm. and got the job done very quickly. Right, right. <laughs> so that would be the extent of my, other than a, ice cube in a glass i i did learn how to make an electric lemonade because i'm basic and and you know, i thought that was better than a long island iced tea. i was just and that's that's the other one like okay i'm just gonna get drunk as fast as i can oh long island iced tea okay all right so i think now um we could segue into i guess we'll do this a little bit out of order because what, what's that word again the the Kopfstut? Yes, that yes. thing. Um, so you're going to explain to me what a Kopfstut is. Yes. You should have, yesterday I recorded an episode with um, a German brewery owner. Oh, nice. And the the amount of times I tried to say Ryan Heiskabot correctly <laughs> oh, and right. did not say it correctly, like just now, uh, was embarrassing. So <laughs> I will stop trying to say that the, word. The yeah. <laughs> so you can call so, it the headbutt. So yeah, Kopfstot is Dutch for headbutt. <laughs> so we'll have you um, explain to me what I should do. And then our fabulous producer and cameraman is going to uh, have video of this. So anyone who's just listening to the audio podcast, if you want to see what it looks like, the video version has that. Yes. So uh, so what you have in front of you, uh, I'll kind of try and set the scene for those listening. Uh, in front of them, we have a Glencairn glass that is fo- filled completely to the brim with our Jennifer. And then next to that is actually a small pour of the Attaboy uh, Dutch gold. See, and w- when you... Actually, the Belgian gold, excuse me. W- when you first came in and were pouring the glasses, like, ah, Mark's here to party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize there was an a reason for yes. it to be completely full. <laughs> uh, so uh, what you will do is uh, without your hands, you're going to go ahead and lean forward and you're going to sip off the very first bit of that Jennifer. So he's sipping it off. And basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to pull enough off that you can comfortably pick it up. 
Once you do that, you can pick it up and you can actually take your first drink of the Jennifer. Once you've taken your first drink of the Jennifer, you then have a drink of the beer. And then what you should notice is the two are going to be very complementary to each other. So the theory behind this, it's I'm sure anybody who's familiar with Boilermakers, it's a fancy way to do a Boilermaker. Uh, it actually comes out because uh, Jennifer was Dutch spirit, traditionally was done, uh, served to the working class, and it was more an efficiency thing. I want my pour all the way up to the top. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, bartender, there's space. <laughs> exactly. Why do I see air in my class? <laughs> so you would take that first sip, and eventually it just became kind of this tradition. So you can actually go to the Netherlands now, and you will find what are called kapstoet bars, where they serve Jennifer and they serve beer side by side. Huh. So you, I... I it's not like any of the other drinks not then where I'll dump the Jennifer into the beer. Right, and it's right. more of just a, like a pairing. Exactly. Than a, a mix. So I have heard of people who do take the Jennifer and dump it into their beer called a U-boat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is really good. Thank you very much. I, I've, um, I've only had a Jennifer one other time and wasn't a big fan of it, at least compared to the... Uh, when I did a full tasting of all the types of gin. Mm, right. Um, so can you explain what is the difference between Jennifer and a, a typical gin? Yeah, definitely. So Jennifer is often called the grandpappy of gin. Uh, it is uh, the precursor to it actually came about. First time it ever showed up in writing was in the, I want to say 15th or 16th century. And Jennifer is the... Uh, the Dutch word for juniper. juniper. Yes. Exactly. Nailed well it. done. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I wrote an article about gin making in our last, oh, gotcha. <laughs> in last issue of the magazine. So it was kind of cheating. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So basically what it used to be was just wine with juniper berries in it. It was used as medicine. Um, a lot of people considered juniper to have medicinal benefits. After a while, people figured out, oh man, just if you're tossing juniper in booze tastes really, really good. <laughs> uh, after that, they want to say there's obviously like anything any type of booze, the history gets really muddied. Well, so we, we've had some debate mm -hmm. on the show on whether or not the juniper was used because the Dutch were just really bad <laughs> distillers. Where, right. where do you fall on that? Uh, so actually, I don't, I don't quite buy that. I don't, I don't oh. cotton to that theory, <laughs> uh, mostly because it wasn't so much because the Dutch were bad distillers. It was because the technology wasn't there. Yeah. Um, you, When you pot distill stuff, you leave a lot of those impurities in it. And people thought juniper was healthy. You toss it in some booze. Oh, man, now it tastes a lot better. Yeah. Now this is good is for there. me. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's medicine. I'm taking medicine right now. <laughs> uh, because it was distilled on pot stills, uh, traditional Jennifer and even modern Jennifer's, have to contain what are called malt wines. Malt wines are basically new make whiskey. Uh, a lot of ones that are on the market are what are called Junge, which is young. Uh, that means there's no more than 15% malt wine in it. The rest of it is neutral, either neutral cane spirit, neutral grain spirit, whatever it may be. Uh, this is what's called an Auda style or an old style, which means we actually have 50%, so 50 uh, percent malt wines in there, and then the rest is neutral. Versus a traditional gin, Obviously, juniper flavored with botanicals, but it's always going to be, not always, 
99% of the time going to be with a neutral spirit. Okay. Because what you're trying to do, like with a, a London dry gin, is you want this blank canvas for the botanicals to really play up and be prominent. Whereas with Jennifer, you still want those nice botanicals, you want that complexity, but you also want to add that malty, grainy earthiness of your base whiskey spirit. Now, you're using maceration for for the infusion, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so we're doing the maceration style, which... uh, so we take 50% of our rye we also referred to as teabagging. Yes. <laughs> Not a, don't Google that. Don't. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we basically take uh, all of the botanicals that we utilize. Uh, we have a 50% mix that goes into our still. 50%, again, 100% malted rye that's been distilled out. And then 50% neutral cane spirit. That goes in, we let it sit for 24 hours, and then we actually distill that out with those botanicals still sitting in the still. Okay. Uh, what you end up getting is kind of what you're tasting there. Is it's, it's very malty. You get that graininess. You still get the juniper. You get a little bit of citrus in it as well. So the juniper and the botanicals take a little bit more of a backseat in Jennifer than it, they do in gin. But to me, that's what I love about Jennifer, is it's that complexity. It's that that marriage of the two different styles. It's very smooth. Thank you. I like it. I like how it actually, you get a burn on your tongue, mm-hmm. but then it's just smooth the rest of the way. So it's 90, per, it's 90 proof, so it's 45% ABV. That is a little bit higher than traditional Jennifer's. Uh, traditional Jennifer's usually go in at 35% ABV. So I, actually, I would have thought it was lower because yeah. well, of how smooth it is. That's what we want. Uh, the other thing that makes it a little bit interesting, uh, we always like to say at 10th Ward, our, our motto is Ward Off Ordinary. Um, I like to think of what we do as similar to jazz. You know, for a good jazz artist to be successful, they have to know the basics. You know, you have to ha- understand the structure of music. You have to understand them well enough that you can then break those rules. And that's what we kind of do here at 10th Ward. So with this, we took a traditional... Uh, Jennifer-based botanical bill, so it has juniper, it has angelica root, it has orris root. Uh, But then we added some local twists. It has dried persimmons in it to give it a little bit of citrus. Uh, It uses chicory root, uh, which is a native uh, Maryland plant, and so it gets a little bit of that earthiness, a little bit of a coffee flavor that comes there on the back. So we kind of want to take those traditions, still honor them, but then put our own twist on it and create something that's completely unique within the marketplace. So what um, what would you use this in cocktail-wise? It or is makes... this meant to be drank neat? So traditionally, it is meant to be uh, drank neat. I, to me, feel comfortable drinking it neat because it is complex. It's There's not a lot of that yeah. ethanol heat on it. Um, it makes a killer Negroni. Okay. Uh, that is kind of my go-to I with it. I don't know what a Negroni is. <laughs> so, but... Oh, man. So a Negroni is uh, it's a 3-3. Three, three, it's a 1-1-1 one, one, one cocktail. It's wonderful. It's traditionally gin, Campari, sweet vermouth. Okay. Usually you put an orange twist over it. So you switch out your gin with the Jennifer, the Campari, the sweet vermouth. Absolutely amazing. Very well balanced. You get that citrus. You get that earthiness. Plus the sweet vermouth and the bitterness from the Campari. Ugh. I feel it's like it's a, is that a very popular drink? Because I hear that, I think I've heard that name quite a bit. It's a popular classic cocktail. Um, it's one of my, what I call, there's a handful of cocktails when I go to a bar that I order to test the quality of the bartender. Okay. Because it's super easy to make, but it's difficult to make well. Um, in fact, I was just down in D.C. Uh, last week 
uh, two weeks ago for uh, speed rack the speed rack competition i was one of the preliminary judges and one of the cocktails that they had to make to get into the final round was a negroni and uh there was another judge who picked it up and it was like well good luck because (laughs) (laughs) it just it's it's so simple but it's so easy to get at that perfect balance so uh, gin and tonics. I can pull mm-hmm. off a gin and tonic also. This is really, really <laughs> good with a solid tonic. I will tell you that. Um, what you'll actually see, um, for those who can't see it, my my glass, I had a little bit of water to it. And now it's added a little bit of cloudiness. Uh, that's also one of the reasons we're doing it at 90. A lot of those heavier oils come through in gin distillation when you macerate it. Okay. So adding water to that, dropping it to a lower proof. Brought all that out. Yeah, all those oils. It's the same principle behind the louche and the absinthe, is oils are just basically glomming together. Yeah, when we made um, uh, this, because mm-hmm. the, the hop oil's in it, um, Ben Clark from Flying Dog, right. but I mean, McClintock already knew, yeah. cautioned <laughs> me like whenever it is proof to make sure not to go below a certain amount because the hop oils will make a cloud up instantly. Exactly. It just, and like I say, and I just added a little yeah, bit of water you, and it I just boomed. Watch, it was a couple drops, really. <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever got an explanation on the, like, the tasting experience of Spirits Neat. Do you is it, is it like uh, beer where you grade it on like obviously there's not a head but mm-hmm. there's definitely lacing mm-hmm. and so is that um, a way that a spirit is graded on or is that not isn't anything that anyone cares about? So kind of uh, so what we can look at now actually um, what I've got here uh, so this is uh, this is some of our this is some of our honey jack. Uh, so Honey Jack, um, perennial, fa- uh, perennial favorite, uh, is actually distilled mead that comes from uh, Orchid Cellar uh, in Middletown. And we distill it out and it goes and ages in uh, n- brand new charred barrels. Uh, so what you can kind of do, this is about the level that you want it at. Maybe a little bit higher. You can swirl it. Uh, what you'll actually see start to come down the sides are what are called legs. Uh, the legs really tell you two things. It tells you the amount of sugar that's in it. It tells you the proof. The wider the legs are, the more sugar there is. The faster they move, the higher the proof. Um, Color is a big thing when you're analyzing spirits. Uh, You know, you would look, hold this up to a white background and you'd look at it and say, okay, this has a light straw color. That means it hasn't been in the barrel that long. Okay. Um, Usually I'll tell people if you're looking at legs, it's a good way to tell if sugar has been added to it. Uh, we don't do any sort of additional sugar into ours, but there are some naturally occurring sugars that survive. So, so um, recently, several distilleries have announced uh, that they won mm-hmm. uh, a few. Uh, Frederick won at McClintock. Yeah. Uh, miscellaneous won double golds at the San Francisco. What's the full name? Distilling San, Re- San Francisco International Spirits right. Competition. Okay, <laughs> so in it, in it, from what I understand, is one of the very prestigious ones, probably like the GABF of the spirits world. Yeah. Um, so when they're um, grading spirits in those competitions, is it is the, is that what they're looking for? Look at the color, the taste, or is it all m- more of just the flavors and taste that they get? So color is going to it's not going to be a huge impact. Um, I w- I've never actually been 
you know, honored enough to be one of the judges for the San Francisco, but I've done some other judgings where typically you do it as a double blind, meaning like here you see the bottle in front of you. I've told you about it. You know exactly what it is. The judge is going to be brought out a series of Glencairn glasses and they're going to be numbered and they're just going to base it on that number. So they'll look at the color. They probably aren't going to really swirl it too much. Look at the legs, but they're going to be interested. The first thing they're going to check out is the nose. And so when we do tastings, we always tell people, you know, just shove, you can just shove that right in there and you're going to roll it back and forth because maybe, maybe my left nose is, or maybe not left nostril uh, clogged today. And is there a sommelier or Cicerone version of the, in the spirits world or we're getting there. Um, the, uh, WSAT, which is the world or the wine, uh, I'd have to look up what their what their actual acronym is, um, but they do a lot of education and they have up to a level four that you can do, or up to a level three that you can do in spirits. Um, level four becomes wine, and you have to get the level four before you can become like a master sommelier. Okay. Um, uh, like there's the ACSA, the American Craft Spirits Association. Uh, I sit on the education committee for that. I will tell you, probably every year it comes up in a discussion: should we establish a master distiller or a master spirits noser or you know how do we how do we codify that so so what am i smelling in this and that if there's one thing i wish that i was able to do was that i had the vocabulary right when it and it's i have the same problem with beer like i I don't have the vocabulary of what I'm tasting and what I'm smelling. Like I don't have that reserve bank in my head of all these, like I'll smell it like oh, this smells reminiscent of something, but mm-hmm. I have no idea. So like that, I definitely, this, this definitely has a, a, a smell I, I, I've smelled before, but I, I don't know how to identify it. To me, the first big bold nose we get on our honey jack is the honey. I mean, some of those sweeter caramelized notes really, really come through. To me, there's also a little bit of citrus in it. You have that bright kind of acidity that comes in on the nose. I think maybe that's what I'm... I think it's a mixture of caramel and and citrus. Uh Uh-huh. But you'll take your sip. And you do what's called a... uh, You do what's called that chew. You just kind of roll it around. Because what you're trying to do is you're coating your entire palate. Uh, the challenge, obviously, is because your first hit is ethanol. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter how clean your distillation is. Ethanol is hot, and your mouth will always kind of freak out. So you do that initial coat, and then it's you It's wondering can... what the hell you just did to it. Exactly. And then you take that second sip, and that's when everything will start to come across. And what you're trying to do is also, you know, if you want to get scientific, you can talk about orthonasal and retronasal. So orthonasal... I'm breathing it in, retronasal coming up from the back of the cavity into the nose. So to really actually taste spirits, you have to swallow. Um, I It's one of those things that kind of sucks because you can get really drunk yeah, I was <laughs> really, saying, really fast. I was actually, uh, that was going to be my next question. Like how, how they must have to have tons of judges yes. for these competitions because the the um how quickly you must get drunk uh judging a spirits competition is well and palate fatigue is another huge issue too because you you talk about yeah it's much more harsh on your palate than any other type of alcohol but yeah so that's why 
Obviously, you will have a lot of crackers. You'll have very neutral flavors to clear the palate that you can eat, lots of water to make sure you continuously. And, you know, the, the competitions that really know what they're doing are not going to overload their, their judges for that reason, because the, f- the more you drink, the further you go down, you start to, it all just blends together. It just becomes kind of a single gray across your palate. Yeah, the third sip of this is that that's where it's at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, so that's when you're going to start noticing and you're going to notice what just hangs out and uh, and stays behind is now is when that sweetness comes through. You get that honey, you get a little bit of vanilla, you get a little bit of oak. So this isn't like the final product of the honey jack that we're tasting. This has actually only been in for about four months now. It's going to be in for at least another two okay. before it goes into a bottle. But I pulled it, I actually pulled it this morning, and you can already start to get some of those notes out of the barrel, and all of that All of that color comes from the barrel as well. So, obviously, the clear distillate went into the barrel to age. The um, I, I didn't get to try it, but I heard the old ward was really good. Oh, see, now I'm kicking myself. I had my bottle, and I was oh. like, I should take it, and so we could try it. Yeah. Yeah, the Old Ward, uh, it's what we call our Conspirator series, uh, which actually the Honey Jack is, too, since we utilize mead that comes from Orchid Cellar. Uh, but they, uh, Old Mother had a pale ale that they just decided they weren't super happy with, and so we offered to take it off their hands from them and fermented it and distilled it out and put it into a barrel, and we let it sit for about six months and then pulled it out and infused it with uh, oranges, figs, cloves, chamomile. And essentially, it was an old-fashioned in a bottle. It was so good. We sold out in two hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I foolishly, and I, I guess I just never thought that it was going to sell out instantly and, <laughs> right. and thought I would have time to go get some, and then it sold out almost instantly. <laughs> we were very, very pleased with it. Uh, yeah, and it's the reception's gone, o- gone over gangbusters. and But things like that, things like the old ward, that kind of ties in with what we had talked about in terms of that nimbleness is, you know, we have such a great relationship with other breweries and distilleries and vineyards within Frederick County and the, the entire state that we can call them and be like, hey, we want to do something. Or they can call us and be like, we have a surplus of this. We don't know what to do with it. And we're like, well, we'll distill it out and yeah. we'll see what happens with it. <laughs> and I haven't, um, I haven't tried the the uh, matriarch that was aged in the honey jack barrel yet, but I, I've heard that's also really good too. I, oh, I do so have a amazing. bottle of that to try, but I haven't. Oh, it was so good. That tried matriarch is so good. <laughs> the going back to the Jennifer after the honey jack is mm-hmm. really good. So what's interesting, and as you're, what you'll kind of notice is, and one of the challenges with tasting uh, spirits is, you know, because it kind of coats your whole mouth and it lingers, everything that you drink or eat adjacent to it is also then going to continue to change how yeah. you feel about it. Um, I, one of the test batches that I had made of the Jennifer, I, I took a little bit home for my wife to try. And she had just finished drinking coffee. She tasted it. She goes, oh, I don't like this at all. I said, really? What about it? She goes, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. And she got off of work and I had the glass sitting there. And I think I grabbed like a Natty Bow or something, something cheap because we were out working in the yard and cracked it open. And she took a drink of it and she then took a drink of the Jennifer. She goes, oh my God, this is amazing. She goes, now that <laughs> I've drank something just so light and so yeah. it just cleared her palate off and she suddenly got everything. And so 
to me, that's also where the beauty of cocktails are and making spirits with the idea of cocktails in mind because those flavor balances and how they play across each other. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't take that into account when, they, when they're when they rating, um, especially beers. Because uh, a prime example is like Raging Bitch. I can have a Raging Bitch and love it. Oh, yeah. Um, and then there will be another time, depending on what else I've drank or what I've eaten, that I, I don't like it even slightly. And it's... Uh, and it's mainly that one beer, and maybe it's just because one of the, it's one of the beers I've had quite a bit, being us being so close to Flying Dog, mm-hmm. that it I, I've always been perplexed that like it could be my opinion of it can swing that far uh, just based on what I've what I've consumed beforehand. Oh yeah, and if you've and if you've say if you've got a cold, if your nose is stopped up. It's one of the reasons I always like to have at least a minimum three other people taste spirits before I feel comfortable being like, this is something that we can we can market or we can get testing on. Uh, I, I think it be, it was thrown into Stark Relief once when I was distilling and stuff's coming off of the still and I'm freaking out. I'm like, this doesn't taste right. This is, yeah. why is this wrong? And so Monica was in the still room and I said, taste this. And she goes, oh my God, this is wonderful. I said, okay, <laughs> good, good, because... Uh, for what and I think it was the next day, complete head cold, uh, like yeah, so stopped up sinus infection. From... Yeah, and so my palate was off. So, is that the molecular structure of alcohol? Your tattoo? Yes, yes, okay. it is. Yeah, that's my <laughs> uh, running joke. Is in case I forget what, what I'm supposed to be doing, yeah, I can just uh... look at your arm. <laughs> oh, oh, right, right. <laughs> Ethanol. That's what I'm making. <laughs> I have a Bill Nye uh, flask that has the same thing. Huh? Nice. I love it. So what I'm pouring a little of out right now, um, this is something that's going to be coming out this fall. Uh, We haven't even really announced it yet, but about a year ago, a year ago, February, we released what we call our Stouted Rye. And that was actually a Maryland rye wash, uh, distilled out, went into new barrels for a couple of months, and then actually finished aging in a stout barrel. So we call it the Stouted Rye. We actually have uh, the next batch, batch number two, currently sitting in the new barrel, and then we'll go in and actually finish in the uh, Gonzo barrels that Flying Dog used. Oh, nice. So coming this fall to winter, we will have the second batch of the Stouted Rye. So I did bring a little bit of that to try, just, again, kind of get an idea. This is about four months old as well, uh, how much character can come off of those barrels so quickly. So the what um, what is one spirit that you want to bring to leave your mark on Tenth Ward? I'm pretty thrilled about the Jennifer, um, and truthfully, I would say all of them. I mean, that's kind of each distiller goes in and kind of wants to you know put their own touch on everything. Um, because I know like when John came in, the recipes were tweaked a little bit, and then when I came in recipes were tweaked a yeah. little bit and well like he came in and uh, absinthe right was the big thing so right. it's like uh jennifer is is that your i would i would be honored if it was um <laughs> it, you know it's one of those things like uh, to to say oh there's this one specific thing i don't know i mean i kind of to me would be like i made my mark if people expand their view and their knowledge and 10th ward 
becomes established beyond Frederick as this kind of trendsetter. That's t- I mean, yeah, the Jennifer's one. The, the Jennifer, the Jennifer is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's name is Jennifer. Jennifer, so I'm. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think to me, my I would love my impact to be the whole thing, and to bring people to Tenth Ward and go, okay, man, they're making killer rye, they're making killer bourbon, they're making killer absinthe, um, and you know I may be inspired. It may be you know a year down the line, and I go, you know what I really want to make is X. Uh, like we've talked, we play around with the idea of doing like an old style uh, apricot brandy. Because it's, I think there's one or two people within the country right now doing traditional apricot brandy. Great historic tie-in, being in Maryland, great colonial spirit, great classic cocktail mixer. Not a lot of people are doing it. What do you think of the rye? That's good. Thank you. It's not a, um, actually no, there's a decent amount, decent amount of the rye spice mm-hmm. in that. What, what percentage of rye is it? So it's 70% rye, okay, was, 30% yeah. barley. Huh. I'm glad I, <laughs> I quickly re, reassessed my opinion on how much rye spice because I almost said that there wasn't enough. Then like a process to taste a little bit. I'm like, no, actually there's a lot of rye spice in that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's still is a little bit softer than like a Midwest rye, um, you know, cause a lot of Midwest ryes are going to have that 80, 90, 95%, 100% rye. So you get that heavy, heavy black pepper. I really like our 70-30 blend because you still get some of that rye spice you anticipate, but that malted barley just softens it and it gives Mm -hmm. it that really nice kind of, to me, malted barley has a very chocolate profile to it. And so it creates a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of softness that'll temper all of that. I'm still going back and loving this Jennifer though. Excellent. That is good. I'm very, that's, that one I'm really excited about because it is the first one that's wholly my recipe coming into 10th Ward. Nice. Um, they say the, the absinthe and everything, 10th Ward had their stuff down. Again, as a reason I was attracted to pack up and move halfway across the country is tasting 10th Ward stuff, talking to Monica, just seeing and seeing the reputation 10th Ward had was enough that was like, okay, yeah, I really want to be a part of it. And then, yeah, to be able to come in and go, okay, now this is this is my recipe, and let's see how it fits in with the Tenth Ward Pantheon. So w- when does this come out again? Uh, <laughs> that depends is... on the TTB. Oh, okay, um, we're waiting for uh, label approval, formula and... approval. Okay, um, because so technically we have to call it a Jennifer style gin uh, because for it to be called Jennifer, it has to come out of uh, the Netherlands, Belgium, and a couple of places within France and Germany. It's okay. a EU protected. Uh, designation so we technically have to call it gin even though it's not quite gin not quite whiskey and because we have to do that we have to submit all the botanicals that go into it and approved as a food uh, exactly and have to they or as a food that can be used in the the grass generally regarded as safe yeah (laughs) which is a nice vague so yeah so uh ideally uh we do want it to come out within april um, we've, we've got the recipe dialed in. We've, excuse me. We, we know, we know that it's, it's where we want it to be. It's yeah. It's just a matter now of once the formula is approved, then we have to wait for label approval. Then once the label approval is in, boom, we're in bottles. All right. Uh, I, um, I would definitely recommend people watch for that time because that this is worth getting. It Thank you really very, very much. Appreciate that a lot. 
this uh, this is definitely something I could see myself going through the painstaking effort of getting an ice cube, dropping it into a glass and sipping on it while uh, High watching some net- watching <laughs> some Netflix or YouTube videos. <laughs> a ringing endorsement. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no, that 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 means a lot. Yeah, we're very very happy with it. We actually did. Um, uh, kind of like we did with the absinthe. We put a call out and we invited the public in uh, to try a couple of the different recipes and to give yeah, us I missed out on and... being able to, I, I got to go to the absinthe ones mm-hmm. and it, I, I really enjoyed that one getting to taste the, um, the different renditions of it. And I successfully picked the one that was, uh, the, that one. So I, I at least have a halfway decent palate <laughs> or at least a basic palate that everyone likes. <laughs> this, oh, yeah. this what I always tell and, people is, you know, at the end of the day, it's, do, do you like it? Yeah. Does it, does it taste good? That's the, you can train your palate. You can gain that vocabulary, but at the end of the day, would you pour this and drink this? That that's what yeah. matters. <laughs> um, and it was it, it was cool learning about absinthe because John mm-hmm. did the whole like fact versus myth, uh, right. at all the those things around it. So it was really cool to learn. I and I can't remember what I was doing, but it was it was probably some sort of kid related thing <laughs> that made me miss the the Jennifer tasting events. But yeah, no, we had a great turnout. The feedback was absolutely amazing, and 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 it helped. What was what was cool was we had four different recipes that were very distinct recipes, and. They all kind of ranked the same. Like, oh, really? like That's I funny. had my fingers crossed. I'm like, surely there's going to be a clear and away winner. No, they were all kind of. Everyone was like, yeah, these are all really good. I'm like, well, that. <laughs> so what we actually ended up doing was we took uh, the two most popular, picked and chose some of those, did some tweaks that I oh. wanted to do, and so the final one is actually kind of a fusion between two of the four that people sampled. Yeah, I like how Tenth um, Ward is doing that. Like doing like a focus group approach mm-hmm. to uh, recipe development. Well, Although I mean, in some ways it's probably got to be maddening for you too, like <laughs> trying to take all that feedback, make sense of it, and then you know it, it's it's where the nerd side comes in. Like one of the reasons that I got into distilling is that fusion of science and art. You know, it is it's it's like cooking, it's like cocktails, it's it's taste and balance, and but there's also the science side of it, and so. For me, when that weekend was finished and we had quantifiable data, I was so thrilled. It was like, oh yeah, I have I have data I can look at. What's tough is, is you will usually have a couple of outliers who despise what you did. And I get it, everybody's yeah. taste is different. It's we're not going to please everybody all the time and that's not what we wanna do. We kind of want to be polarizing as a distillery in terms of flavor profiles. But for every amazing thing, there's someone that hates it. Exactly. And so that is kind of the hard thing is looking through the surveys. And, you know, I think there was one that was like, I wouldn't even like throw this into the garbage. It shouldn't have even been like, oh, my. Okay, cool. Yeah. Hey, here's my heart and soul. Please just ruin it. (laughs) However long you took on this, you wasted your time. Exactly. And man, anonymous people are mean. Yeah. Maybe you should go back to PR. <laughs> yeah. Ex- oh, I had a, that, that was one that I got once was like, well, at least, at, at least you can speak well. Oh my goodness. During this I'm tasting? Sure. No, no, no. Oh, okay. This, this was, was like, this was at the last. On, Frederick, you're a little I, bit better than that. No, this was at the last <laughs> distillery I was at that I got that feedback and I was like, Cool. <laughs> You can't make a spirit to save your life, but at least you're well spoken. Yes, exactly. Well, you're very erudite. I'm sorry that you know your chosen profession isn't working out. 
<laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, and then finally, I do want to pour, and this I'm very excited about. Uh, so this is our smoked newborn bourbon. So this is 80% corn, 20% malted barley. So it is actually the same mash bill that we utilize for our smoked whiskey. See, I'm worried I'm not going to like this because I hate everything smoked. Oh, yeah. Then this may this not, is, this it, may it, not jive. At least on the nose, this is, it, it, Seems like it has a hefty amount of smoke. It is very, very smoky. A lot of I know a lot of people love that, but it like uh, smoked beers. Some mm-hmm. people go crazy for them. I find them repulsive. So I'm, I uh, I will admit, I apologize now. No, no, if, no. If, Again, if, if I do not like this, <laughs> let's, let's talk about taste. The, yeah. It is the entire category, right. not the specific. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, and I totally get it. It is. It is a again. Everybody's taste is different. Uh, one of my go-to scotches is a Laphroaig, which I affectionately say actually no, like that's not bad. So what it, happens is that that smokiness that's in our unaged, it tones down a little bit. Yeah. So what I pick up typically on a smoked drink is burnt hot dog. Okay. And yeah, like I that, can see that. that is just like what I taste mm. in. In the smell of this, I kind of feel like that's what it's going to taste like, but the taste doesn't like it. It smells way smokier than it tastes. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that's why I was really happy about it, especially even in the barrels for such a short time. So, like, if you taste our our white our white dog of it, it is very very heavy smoke, a lot of iodine. Um, a lot of people kind of get in heavy smoked spirits. They get kind of like a band aid. Plasticky. Yes, that, I, that's a, so. Basically, I taste a burnt hot dog wrapped in band aids. Right, and and yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> but that's you, you say you don't have the vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I have a great vocabulary for things I hate. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that's what I like about this is, is that that smokiness. Is this still is completely there. lacking the band aid taste. Mm-hmm. Well, good, excellent. I, <laughs> we're putting that on the bottle. <laughs> Certified band aid free. Band aid free. But yeah, but then the sweetness of that corn, which I don't feel like you get a lot of in the white dog of it, it really gets pronounced because of that oak and vanilla that comes through in the barrel. And the definitely the more the more I smell it, the the less the 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 less offensive mm. of the, like the the smokiness that I don't like. It mm-hmm. kind of goes away a little bit. But the taste wise, yeah, this is good. Thank you. I um, it's it's definitely not um, a bottle that I would purchase. Right. But typically, I wouldn't even finish <laughs> what this is, and I will. It is good enough that I will finish. This. Hey, you know, again, I, I appreciate it. And and again, like just what I was talking about, kind of that's what we want to do. Is obviously we want our products to be high quality, but we want them to be almost visceral, like yeah. in that. Wow, I love this. But like or... scotch, I hate scotch because right. I can't stand peatiness mm-hmm. and that's like that smoky. Which peaty. to me is why I'm kind of in love with this because it's like a scotched bourbon. You get okay. the sweetness of a bourbon and you get that smokiness. Um, you don't get that vegetal kind of heavy barley, heavy heavy peatiness that you get from a scotch. But to me, this is this is one that. I was really excited about to get down on Oak. Like it was, I liked how it was as the white dog. I 
really happy with how it's developing in the barrel as well. Yeah, I've I've been places where someone gave me a taste of I, I can't even remember the names of them, but like the r- extremely expensive popular scotches mm-hmm. that everyone loves and right. it, it, like. It, go through who jump through hoops to get it because <laughs> right. they're hundreds of dollars a bottle i took a sip like yeah that's gross <laughs> like, you know, I'd, I'll, I'll pass that right. is not good <laughs> and yeah and and that's what it is is you know if if the smokiness is something you appreciate to me it's very balanced you get that you get the pronounced smoke but it's not that bitey heat yeah there's no hot dog wrapped in band-aid I, i'll take it <laughs> No, actually, I, I, this, I do like this one. Thank you. So, yeah, so we are very, very excited. That is coming out on the 20th. Too, it's no so Jennifer, the, but it is. Hey, you know, again, I'm interested how you're going to think what you think of the Jennifer having had that smoked. Because I will tell you, the smoke, those phenols that come through, they're going to hang around a while. See, I mean, it didn't, I, the Jennifer's just as delicious as the last sip I took of it. Which is dangerous because I'm tempted to drink this entire thing, and that would not bode well for the rest of the day. I was going to say, it depends <laughs> on what your plans are for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, I probably should stop right there. At 90 proof, <laughs> six ounces would be yeah. a little aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a child to take care of yeah, later, yeah. and actually uh, several hours of work to right. accomplish after this. So we will, we will probably halt on the Jennifer drinking. <laughs> but I would definitely encourage, uh, as, as that becomes available, um, you know, play around with the beer pairing too um again the reason i chose the one from attaboy is it's got this really nice honey to it it's it's a heavier one it's a nine percent but it's not it doesn't taste like a nine percent it doesn't have that really heavy body to it uh traditionally if you're doing it like the dutch style it would probably be a lager or something similar again what you're looking for though talk about even the cocktail side is those those flavor comparisons you want to find stuff that's complimentary so uh, I I would assume typically like the smoked bourbon you would just drink that straight right most would, people would yes but I would it, are there cocktails that that, that would uh, lend itself well to yeah it's really really good in an old fashioned um, an old fashioned another one of those simple to make hard to make well okay. uh, because you're just looking at a sugar cube bitters and whiskey okay. Um, it is really, really nice. The white dog, a lot of people make it into like a, uh, a margarita, kind of get that smokiness coming through almost like a mezcal. Uh, I would really, really like that in a, a Bloody Mary, truthfully. Put a little tomato juice in it, get a little spiciness, let that smoke really come up through it. Now, what about the rye? What? So the rye I'm still playing around with. Um, I haven't played around so much with the aged one, but with our white, uh, our white version, which is our caraway rye, has a little bit of a different flavor profile because we have the caraway seeds in it, so it's more like a pumpernickel. Yeah, you, you can definitely pick out the caraway seed yeah. in that one. Um, what I really like to do is I make a white uh, Manhattan okay. with that. Um, I've also kind of played around with this little bit I've pulled out of the barrel. Same thing, though, is you utilize like a Blanc vermouth. Uh, it's not going to be as sweet as a sweet vermouth. It's not as dry and savory as a dry vermouth. And then you add some like chocolate bitters. And that, again, because to me, what I always think of with like heavy malt is kind of that that dark chocolate. And so chocolate bitters, the rye, a little bit of blanc vermouth shaken up. It's just wonderful. No, what about the honey jack? So the honey jack is another one I recommend sipping it neat. You know, you get those really nice complex notes of the honey. You get that vanilla. You get that oak. 
Uh, it is really, really nice with a little bit of that, a little bit of Aperol, which is a, an aperitif, just a, a bitter liqueur, top of champagne. Get like a brute champagne because what will happen is that honey just opens way, way, way up and just moves straight to the front. So it's almost like you're drinking a mead when you're drinking it. Um, that next round of the Honey Jack will also be coming out, uh, I want to say late summer, early fall. So we've still got some time as it's sitting on oak right now. Do you have anything else uh, coming out soon that you're excited about? Oh, man, lots. So uh, Springtime Liqueur just came out, and that's been flying off the shelf. Uh, we've got our Summertime Liqueur coming up. Uh, going into this summer, talking about the absinthe, we're actually doing a tricolor absinthe uh, package. It's going to be a red, a white, and a yellow. So uh-huh. the Maryland flag colors. Nice. Um, I'm really, really excited to do that one because our Absinthe Nouvelle, uh, you know, John knocked that recipe out of the park. It's well-balanced. It's not overly uh, anise. There's not a huge amount of black licorice. These three are going to kind of give me the chance to, again, take those rules and break them. Uh, one of them is going to be super, Ward off super ordinary. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think it's even on the side of my hat. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, and so we've got a, cu- a couple of really cool things coming down the line. Um, I would encourage people, we're always coming across new stuff too. Um, as we have opportunities, we like to jump on them and keep an eye on our social media, keep an eye on our website. We're always keeping those updated. So, yeah, I've told uh, Monica that I, I absolutely love the new bottle designs with I the, know, aren't the they different amazing? person representing the each weirdos. new yeah, the weirdos, weirdos. Yes, <laughs> the new the weirdos <laughs> representing each. Uh, new spirit or each spirit. Um, so typically what I ask people about, uh, the best worst review uh, they've ever received. <laughs> I feel like you've already given us that one telling you to just quit and yeah, speak nicely yeah. to be, <laughs> be well-spoken. Um, I, I will ask you what, um, are you a beer person? Oh yeah. yeah. I'm... What is, uh, what is the one craft beer right now, uh, sticking to Maryland that you're drinking and enjoying? Oh man, and that's that's such a difficult question in Frederick. Yeah. I mean, because because Fred- Frederick is the East Coast capital of craft beer. People are saying, oh, hands down, and <laughs> I believe it. It's insane. There's the, a lot of people are saying it. The concentration. <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> I, again, hey, you know, it's it's one of the reasons we came here was we looked at Frederick and we're like, oh my god, breweries, wineries, cideries, distilleries, all just within not just city limits but the county. It's yeah. Oh, so I will tell you, Old Mother gets a lot of our business, but we live a block away from them. I mean, their stuff yeah. is amazing. Um, probably, Sucker Punch Caribbean Queen, what yeah. are your thoughts? Oh, I love One it. of the best beers ever oh, made. hands right? down. It's amazing. Other um, than Tandem Biker. That was objectively better. Oh. God, that's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we, try to, we try to hit up a lot of them. Uh, I will admit, after a day of standing in a still room, tasting spirits, analyzing it, going over where's the flaws, what can be improved, what's the strong suits that we want to bring out. Anybody who's got a Pilsner or a lager that I can get in town is made locally, that's what's going to be in a growler in my fridge. It's funny. So in, in addition to uh, the German brewery owner, I, there was also um, a brewery owner from Sweden mm-hmm. when we were recording. Um, Keith from Old Mother oh, had yeah. set it up. And the, the three of them just like that's all they kept talking about is how they wanted Kolsch's and Pilsner's. And it's like it, exactly. everyone who makes alcohol, that's all they want to drink is a Pilsner. Because you don't Kolsch have or a Pilsner. You don't have to think about it. It's it's a well-made one is so clean, so crisp. And I think it was actually one of the one of the past 
uh, Uncaps I was listening to was talking about, I think it was the Kolsch, that you can't hide behind yeah. the heaviness. And I think he prefers it's called Gruff. Oh, sorry, even, yes, you're right. Even though it is officially the Kolsch. Sorry, the Gruff. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so it's, I will, I will default to a light, simple, crisp beer just because I want something that I can kind of sit and enjoy and not think about. And, and so, yeah, that's, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say one or the other because my wife and I are, again, we're big into supporting local and we're big fans of the amazing products that are coming out of Frederick. So we hit up everybody at least twice a month. Although we were just at Rockwell for their second and the Imperial Red that Scott oh, had I didn't put get out. To try that one. Oh the, man, that was the uh, duet. I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one now the IPA they have out now. I can't remember the name of it. I re- that was really good also. So yeah, and and that's what's kind of made it tough. Is like, it's it's hard to have a regular place when there's just so many solid options out there. So I'm, you probably know what this is. So I don't even have to describe to you what it is. But it's the you know the whiskey that we made with McClintock. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for taking time out and bringing this uh, delicious Jennifer and the rest of the uh, delicious products you brought with you and telling your story. Hey. Uh, thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Yeah, thanks, everybody. And thank you guys for letting me come in and, and blab at you. Absolutely. <laughs> Cheers. Prost. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.